This podcast is sponsored by ebookit.com, self-publishing solutions for the independent author and small press. Visit us today at ebookit.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin. And I'm Ryan Levesque. Ryan, small talk is often thought to be about unimportant things, but serves the important purpose of being a social lubricant, helping you and others interact. This is an insightful message from our guest today who will enlighten us on this crucial topic. Ryan, who are we speaking with today? Today's guest is author, speaker, and presentation coach, distinguished Toastmaster, Diane Windingland. Diane is a member of two clubs. Power Talk Toastmasters and Readership Toastmasters, and she's the author of over 10 books related to communication. Diane wrote an article in the December 2022 issue of the Toastmaster magazine. It's called Seven Tips to Brush Up Your Small Talk. Joining us from St. Paul, Minnesota, Diane Windingland, welcome to the Toastmasters podcast. Welcome. Well, thank you, Greg and Ryan. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Likewise. So, Diane, tell us, how's the weather in St. Paul today? How is the weather? <laughs> it's awesome. We have partly cloudy skies, and it's in the 60s. Very nice spring weather. Nice. And how was that for a, a warm-up small talk you know, question? You know, people make fun about asking about the weather, but it is a safe topic. No one feels threatened when you ask them about the weather. And you can gain a lot of information by how someone responds to that mm. particular question. And having been to Minnesota a couple times myself, there's actually some pretty interesting content depending on the time of year. That's right. In fact, just a month ago, we had a, like a foot of snow. And now it's green grass, green leaves on the trees. So it can change a lot, the mm. weather. So that is a topic. When I lived in San Diego, it was never a topic. Well, let's bump up a level. Let's go from small talk to actually talking about small talk, <laughs> Diane. Sort of the meta conversation, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Can you help us start off by giving us your, I guess, let's call it definition or explanation of what is small talk? Small talk is something that might lead to big talk. And it's a way to build rapport and trust by talking about things that are generally non-threatening to people so they can gauge what the other person's personality is like, what common interests they might have, and whether they'd like to go a little deeper in conversation. When I was reading your article, I thought of the expression I've heard often from people, which is, I hate small talk, right? You hear people say that all the time. Oh, gosh, I hate small talk. But as I read your article and your definition of it, I sort of put on the lenses of a anthropologist. It almost seems like a way to test for permission to engage further. It's almost like an unconscious thing that we're not fully aware of necessarily the reason where we're doing it. But that seems to be the adaptive value of it. Would you agree? I would agree. And I'm thinking about when you're stuck sitting next to somebody on an airplane. And sometimes you make small talk with them. Sometimes you don't. You can really quickly catch on if they're open, even by if they've got earbuds on or headphones or if they're reading a book. That's pretty much the signal. They're not going to want to make too much small talk. 
but you are sitting next to that person sometime for hours. So to have a little bit of a small talk volley near the beginning kind of gives you a clue as to, you know, are you going to enjoy sitting next to this person or should you just put on your headphones? Oh, so you start by saying something maybe when you get to the seat and that's your seed as to whether or not you should pursue any conversation or not. Is that what you're, where you're coming from? That is true. Although some people don't want to engage in small talk for various reasons. For example, my husband is hard of hearing and on an airplane, having a conversation is pretty much impossible for him. So we don't even sit next to each other when we fly together. We both take aisle seats. And he does not engage with people in conversation. So he's sometimes amazed that I could have a two-hour conversation with a stranger. But that doesn't happen that often. Diane, growing up, I was highly introverted. And I avoided small talks at pretty much all costs. I mean, I was shy. But then I was thinking back when I was preparing for our conversation. And I thought, maybe it was because I thought that nobody wanted to talk to me or I thought that I had really nothing interesting to say. Is that some of the reasons you're hearing that people avoid small talk? For sure. And I will let you know that I was not always good at small talk. I was an engineering student and then I graduated and had a job as an engineer. My husband was an engineer and all of our friends were engineers. A group of people not especially known for being good at small talk. And I was not. I would avoid people at work. I would duck into the restroom so I wouldn't have to talk to them. So I think it's pretty common that there are a lot of people, introverted or otherwise, who aren't that comfortable with small talk. A lot of us grew up with our parents instilling a fear of strangers in us or a fear of the mm. unknown. And then there's like the fear of rejection or being boring or looking stupid, which is some of the same reasons people have a fear of public speaking as well. So it's pretty common. Hmm. And of course, now over the past, let's say, 15 plus years, we all have this device in our pocket that as soon as a little bit of a lull or awkward moment comes up, people tend to pull it out of their pocket and immediately they're glued to this device. And it, it makes me wonder, Diane, do you think smartphones are making small talk become a lost art? I would say to some extent, because I know plenty of people, especially some younger people, who, if you want to call them, they would consider it rude if you didn't text first to kind of forewarn that you want to have a conversation. So a lot of people are much more comfortable with asynchronous conversations where you are texting or you're emailing or you're messaging, where you don't have perhaps the immediate interaction with the full spectrum of communication, which includes the tone of the voice, the body language, the facial expressions. And I think it can be overwhelming for people who are not used to taking all of that in at once. Hmm. Interesting. I was at an event recently and I recall when we got there, the doors weren't yet open. And I remember in the past, it would be everyone who was there sort of queuing up. Everyone was talking to each other. And there's just like total silence because people are just on their phones, you know, checking their email or whatever they happen to be doing. 
I'd like to look at the other side of it, where sometimes you are engaged in small talk and someone, they just go on and on and on. Perhaps you're hearing about all the trials and tribulations about what happened on the way there. How do you get away from that? (laughs) That can be tricky when you are stuck in a conversation and you would like to exit. Now, it sort of depends. If someone is telling you a tragic story, to just leave would be awkward. So I believe the best way to exit a conversation is, you know, they take a breath and then you interject some words affirming what they just said. And then you can say something like, you know, it's been great talking with you about whatever, or, you know, that was such an intriguing story. And then move on to the phrase, please excuse me or excuse me, and then give a reason for your exit. Like, you know, excuse me, I need to talk to so-and-so before they leave, or excuse me, I need to stop in the restroom. Just have some reason that you need to exit that's not, I need to leave because you're boring me to death. You don't want to say that. You can also introduce them to someone else. Yesterday, I was on a boat cruise. I was stuck on the boat with these people, but I wanted to talk to other people. So I simply introduced them to someone who was walking by. And once those people started talking, I just kind of like, you know, excuse me, I got to go. And it was smoother than just leaving. So introduce them to someone else. Try the please excuse me and have a reason for leaving. Those would be two things I'd probably try. I love the way you said, I need to talk to someone before they leave, as opposed to I need to talk to someone to get away from you. I need to talk to someone before they leave. That sense of urgency. Yeah, I could not do that on the boat, though, because (laughs) nobody was going to be leaving. Well, before the boat sinks. Right, right. There's always, I got to go to the restroom. Yes, that's true. (laughs) Diane, I wish I had had the benefit of your advice when I started my career. I can remember going to a holiday party and getting into a conversation with my boss's husband. And once that conversation began, it did not end until the party ended. (laughs) Oh, that's a tough one. (laughs) And I can remember a colleague coming over and she saw what was happening and tried to make her way in so we might be able to escape, but it just did not work. And I didn't have the skills. You can always also say something like, you know, I don't want to monopolize your time at this event. I'm sure you have other people to talk to. It's been <laughs> so good finding more about whatever. And then you can say, you know, let's meet up later or something like that. Hmm. You know, you can take yeah. it on yourself. I don't want to be monopolizing your time. Right. And don't right. pause for them to say, oh, no, I have lots of time. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, it was so funny. Mm. But, you know, I wonder sometimes in those situations, I think for people who are maybe socially uncomfortable, there's a sense of safety. Like, I found someone that I can settle down with <laughs> for right. a while here and avoid the awkwardness of trying to barge into another conversation or strike up another conversation. And that's where having somebody like a wingman or wing person, like a spouse or a friend at an event can be very helpful. They can introduce you to other people. They can cut in and join a conversation and they can help you be better at small talk just by 
having someone to bounce other conversations off of. I was just thinking your other point about the handoff. <laughs> I've been at, I'll call it the victim end of that before, <laughs> where I'm passing by and someone stops me and says, oh, you know, Ryan, you should meet Greg here. <laughs> right. And then they make a quick exit. And I knew exactly why they had just made that introduction. And it had nothing to do with the positive value of the two of us meeting. Well, so that's where if you really want to be smooth, when you make the introduction, you give a reason for the introduction. Mm. Like I might introduce someone to Ryan. I might say, oh, you've got to meet Ryan. He is so into blockchain and crypto. I don't quite understand it, but I know that's something you're interested in. So you can have a reason for introducing two people. It's much smoother. Yeah, I can see that. And helps them know where to begin the conversation. Right. As well. Right. Yeah, really smart. Okay, so we talked about running away. How about finding a way to break the ice? Diane, in the article, you have this four-step process, the C-A-A-A. To me, when I first looked at it, I thought it was like the Canadian or American <laughs> Automobile Association. But right. you have this acronym. Can you maybe share a little bit about what that is and how it works? Sure. The C is to comment positively, typically, on something that you observe or something that you have in common. So, for example, I was at a surprise birthday party on Saturday night and lots of people I didn't know. And so there was a woman there and I just said, it's so great that Brent, that was the birthday person's husband, organized this surprise party. How do you know Jacqueline, who was the one having the surprise birthday party? So I commented that it was great that Brent organized this. And then I went into the second part, which is to ask an open-ended question, a question that cannot be simply answered with one word or with a yes or no. And then, you know, she told me that she and Jacqueline were part of a stepmother support group. And I said, that's fascinating. I've never heard of that before. I bet there are a lot of unique challenges of being a stepmother. And so I'm affirming, you know, what she had just told me. That's the second A. And the third A is to add, to extend with your own experience and then ask perhaps a related question. So then I said, my dad remarried when I was about 18. And that was a little challenging taking on a stepmom at that age. What are some of the challenges that you've experienced as a stepmom? And so then I just, you know, encourage her to talk a little bit more. So the CAA approach is to comment positively on something you observe or have in common, to ask an open-ended question, to affirm or paraphrase what they just said. And then to add, to extend with your own experience and perhaps ask a related question. Diane, I'd like to ask you a little bit more about that second A, affirm. And I'm going to be a little bit tongue in cheek here. When I read the article about listening to their response, ideally paraphrase what they said, you, you just did it really smoothly. But in my mind, I was hearing it, to use your example, as something like, oh, I understand you're a step-parent and you recently joined a step-parent support group. 
how fascinating, (laughs) (laughs) which of course sounds really mechanical. So how do you, what tips can you give us of how to paraphrase without it seeming like you're just checking off a box on a list? Well, part of it is not just what you say, but how you say it. And that is your whole body language, facial expression, tone of voice, like the way you just said it was a bit mechanical. (laughs) And, you know, but if you say it with enthusiasm, like, wow, so you're part of a step parent group. How does that work? You know, Mm, or whatever you just said, but just to say it with like some enthusiasm, some like true curiosity, rather than just like the checkbox mentality. Yeah, that's great. I find sometimes you feel like you're being interrogated. I know in the article you gave the example, instead of saying, are you married? You suggest you might say, tell me about your family. In my situation, I've it's happened many times where it's like, do you have any kids? Or even better, how old are your kids? And we never had any kids. I'd look at people and they would have this weird look when you said, well, no, we don't have any children. And I used to feel awkward. Now, of course, I just kind of roll my eyes to myself and go, here we go again. So I guess it's a sort of a two-part question is, one, how do you come up with the right questions like these to ask? And and is there a polite way of saying to people, don't ask me these kind of questions. (laughs) You need to learn from Diane on how to (laughs) do small talk properly. Well, so when it comes to asking questions... I say, learn from your mistakes. So you may discover that you've asked a question that is an awkward question. And if it is obviously an awkward question, you can say, oh, you know, we don't have to get into that or you don't need to answer that. So like on this boat cruise I was on yesterday, there was a gal, I asked her how it was going. I hadn't seen her in a while. I didn't know her. And she said, well, I got suspended from my job and then I got fired. And well, she told me that. So I said, you know, how did that happen? And then I'm like, oh, if you don't want to tell me, it is fine. And but then she proceeded to tell me. But I realized I maybe have asked an odd question. Mm. And so I backed away from that. Or if she'd acted like, you know, very awkward about it. I'm like, you know what? We don't need to talk about that. So if you realize that you've asked an awkward question, you can back off from your question. But if you are the one who is asked an awkward question, there's a few ways you can handle it. Number one, if you get asked the same awkward question a lot, I would say have a funny way to answer it. So for example, when I had my first two kids were very, very small, my son was biological and our daughter was adopted. And our son was even darker than my husband and me. And our daughter was very, very fair. And I went through the checkout line and the checkout clerk asked me, this was really awkward. Do they have the same father? (laughs) And, and because I just decided to play with it, I said, well, no. And I left it at that. I'm like, you know, it was a really weird question, but I don't need to go into any details. And I would never, if I were in a conversation with somebody who I was going to be talking with for a while, I would say, well, no, but it's not what you think, you know, and just go on. So you might have a cute answer to something that is a frequently asked awkward question. But you can also say, you know, I don't really want to talk about that. Let's talk about something else. I mean, that's perfectly fine to say that you don't really want to talk about something or, you know, People ask me that all the time, and I'd rather talk about other things, maybe more interesting things. 
So you just, you can honestly deflect it. Or you can ask them the same question back. Like, do you have children? And just get them talking and let them respond. Diane, your article gave me a term for something that I've been doing for several years, and it just happened not that long ago. I met up for lunch with a friend from high school. As I was driving to meet him, I was taking stock mentally of like, what's happened since I've seen this person? What what are some of the things I've done professionally, socially, that might be interesting to talk about? This term of a conversational resume. I wonder if you could talk about that. And is a conversational resume, is it actually a document or just sort of a, a mental list that you keep? Well, first of all, it is not a term that I came up with. In writing the article, I had interviewed Patrick King, who is the author of Better Small Talk. And I do believe that the Toastmasters magazine editorial people actually, I think, interviewed him or or wrote their own article about the conversational resume. It can be a document where, very similar to a job resume, you can add interesting things in your life, things that you value, stories related to things that you value, and then just review them before you go into a networking situation or with someone you haven't seen for a long time. So that's basically what it is. I don't have a written out conversation resume, but I do think that would be an appealing exercise for a lot of people to think about what do I really value in life? Where did I learn it? What are some experience I've had in my life that have made a huge difference? And, you know, just to even think about those things, they also make great Toastmaster speeches as well. If I could add something just that I think more people could do, if you know you're going to be talking with some specific people, like I knew I was going to be talking to YouTube, do a quick internet search or just go on LinkedIn and find out some talking points for people like with Greg. There's so many things I could talk about with Greg. We've both been district governors, very involved in Toastmaster. He lives somewhere cold. I live somewhere cold. Uh, He wrote a book, a children's book. I mean, we could talk about that for a long time. And then I looked at Ryan's LinkedIn and I'm like, ooh, this would be tricky. Freelance content writer for blockchain, crypto, and Web3 projects. Stuff I don't really know much about. But there were other things I knew. But just just as an interesting thing, and this is something fairly new that people could try, chat GPT. You could find great conversation questions and answers. Like, So I put in, just as an example here, what are some small talk questions I could ask a freelance content writer for blockchain, crypto, and Web3 projects. <laughs> and then within a second, ChatGPT came up with 10 possible questions that I could ask you. Like, how did you become interested in blockchain, crypto, and Web3 projects? That was number one. And like, number seven, have you had any memorable experiences working with clients or projects in this space? Yeah, I mean, so there's like, it came up with 10 questions 
that I could use in conversation to get you talking. People think you're a great conversationalist when you get them talking, even if you don't say a lot, but you just add the body language, the nods, the uh ahas, an occasional comment related to what they just said. They think you're a great conversationalist. I think I'm going to put you on speed dial, Diane. (laughs) (laughs) Just get ChatGPT up on your computer and you can have answers Mm. and questions for anything. What a great tip. I love it. Thanks for that. And just a reminder, folks, there's an article written by the Toastmasters magazine staff on Conversation Resume, and you can find that in the December 22 issue of the Toastmaster magazine as well. Diane, there's obviously certain topics that we want to avoid. I don't think we need to go into detail on those, but there are there some that may not necessarily be as obvious? Yes. I would say generally you wouldn't want to talk about health issues, but it all depends. It depends on whom you're talking with. If you're talking with older adults, 60s, 70s, 80s, or older, health issues are a major point of concern and really very interesting for them to talk about. So it depends on your audience. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts on small talk in a professional context versus social context? Do, Do the rules change at all there? Well, I would say in a professional context, you don't want to go too personal too fast or talk about things that could be detrimental to your career. For example, if you like to use recreational drugs, you might not want to mention that in a professional conversation. Probably start with the level of work. Talk about work. Talk about how they got involved in their particular field, what they like best about it. Keep it at that professional level, especially if you're in a professional context. Now, if you're at a social party, you might go a little deeper than that. But, you know, there's ears all around if you're in a professional context and other people may hear what you're saying in addition to the person that you're talking to. Now, Diane, this podcast lives at the intersection of the personal and the professional. So I'm really curious, what are some of your favorite recreational drugs? (laughs) I'm also wondering, should we use the term drugs or should we use maybe recreational substances? You're so politically correct, Greg. I, I think uh, well, we try, right? Yeah, we try. Diane, as you know, Toastmasters is a global organization with lots of different peoples and cultures and countries. And in fact, our workplaces and communities are increasingly becoming blended and intercultural. With that in mind, what considerations should we have in mind when we're engaging in small talk cross culturally? There are several considerations. One is the value of small talk in different cultures. There are some cultures, I'll say in Germany, for example, because I had done a Facebook survey on the Toastmasters Facebook group. And one person from Germany said, we hate small talk in Germany and we won't do it. So you have to consider that small talk may be viewed differently in different cultures. And then you have to consider what's acceptable small talk in different cultures as well. In some cultures, being a little bit casual with a boss would be considered inappropriate or impolite, or to express your feelings in front of a superior might be seen as bad form. 
if you're not familiar with a culture, you might want to do a little bit of digging, go online, talk to somebody in that culture and find out, are there any inappropriate topics or what would typical small talk be like for that culture? Well, that's certainly some sage advice, Diane. Thank you so much for that. And folks, if you've enjoyed this episode and you've taken away a lot of golden nuggets as we have, I encourage you to share this episode with family, friends, and other Toastmasters. You can find the Toastmasters podcast at toastmasterspodcast.com, toastmasters.org, Google, Apple, Spotify, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Ryan? We also want to remind our listeners to check out Diane's article in the December 2022 issue of the Toastmaster magazine called Seven Tips to Brush Up Your Small Talk. And Diane, can you share with us and with our listeners, what's the best place for us to connect with you online? Probably either LinkedIn or my website, virtualspeechcoach.com. I mentioned earlier that you're the author of 10 plus books on communication. Is there one you'd like to tell us about? Probably my most recent book, which I published about a year ago, is Impromptu Speaking, 10 Strategies to Think on Your Feet Without Tripping Over Your Tongue. And impromptu speaking is very important in small talk because you usually don't have it all the way planned out. (laughs) And your first book is related to this topic, right? It is. Small Talk, Big Results, published in 2010. (laughs) Amazing. Diane Windingland, thank you so much for joining us on the Toastmasters podcast. Thank you for having me. Been a pleasure. Isn't it about time you publish that book you've been thinking about? We can help with that. At ebookit.com, We've been providing authors and small presses with ebook publishing services since 2010. Visit us today at ebookit.com and let us know how we can help you.